Hey, this is Brian. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. You know, at The Aggressive Life, we are redefining the word aggressive, at least helping us understand what it is. Uh, We're not talking about running somebody over or beating somebody up, or at least not somebody who doesn't deserve being beat up. (laughs) Kidding. We, We don't mean getting my way no matter what the cost. We're talking about going after the things that need to be gone after. We're talking about having a life that defaults to action, not philosophy, a life that moves, a life that works, a life that is therefore aggressive. So I want to talk with people who are about that, who are going different places, who are doing different things, who aren't just taking the passive weenie boy, weenie girl path of just allowing life to happen to them. Today we've got John Acuff. He's a man who gets things done. He's a New York Times bestselling author of seven books. He's a Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership speakers who has led thousands of people toward not just thinking about their goals and aspirations, but actually achieving them. He's worked with companies like FedEx, Chick-fil-A, Comedy Central, and he's got a new book called Soundtracks. It's all about learning to stop overthinking and actually act. Sounds like my kind of guy. Sounds like my kind of book. He's going to fire us up today. I hope so. Or else I'm going to cut this off really, really quick. His name is John Acuff. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. Thanks for having me. I think it's going to be a blast. I think we both are high energy, so I don't think there's going to be a lot of pause in this conversation. I agree and I hope. And I got to say, going back, <laughs> I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing already. Maybe you, maybe you tried to distance yourself from this. But my first exposure, first exposure to you was a book a long time ago, Stuff Christians Like. Do you oh, yeah. I love that book. I still, oh, I still think it's the funniest opening line I've ever written because the very first line of the book is, if you buy this book, God will make you rich. And then the second line is, I was going to say if you get it at the library, but I don't think you'll get the same blessing if you don't pay for it. So it was just a super fast, super fun sat there. Yeah, I still love that book. People still tell me, I love your book, John. I keep it on my toilet, which is a weird compliment. It's kind of like, I love your life's work. I keep it where I go to the bathroom. But I don't care where it is in your house as long as it's in the house. <laughs> Every time I wipe myself, I just like to yeah. think about your work. That's just perfect. Yeah, it's right, you know. <laughs> Right there next to the magazines, and that's fine. If I've got a spot, as long as I have a spot in the house, I'm good. No, but the funny stuff in there was like, hey, if you wanna, if you wanna put the church down the street out of business, have live animals. Christians oh, yeah. love live animals. Yeah. You roll out a camel, you roll like game over. You roll out a camel, forget it, dude. Forget, forget it. People love camels. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if they have Billy Graham reincarnated at the church. Yeah. You got a live camel. Game yeah. over. Well, and like goat, it, goat is so amateur level. Like you got to work your way. And you can rent almost any animal. A lot of people don't know that. Like Tiger King probably taught us that. You can get any variety of animals in almost any state. You don't have to live in Florida. Any state will rent you some animal you have no business renting. So, so what would be something that today might not have been in that book? Because that was like five years ago. Well, what, what are Christians today? What, if you had an appendage to the book. Appendage. That's not right. Books shouldn't have an appendage. You've had an addendum no, to the book. That'd be what, like an what, arm. Yeah. What, what, what else do Christians love that the rest of the world just shakes their head at? Well, I mean, I, I think the the pub, the thing that wasn't really big then, because the book came out 10 years ago, was social media. So I think the thing that's fascinating is kind of the, if you didn't Instagram your devotional, it didn't happen. 
And so, like, if you're taking multiple shots to get the Bible angle and the light just right, you're probably a little bit off course. Like, if you if it takes longer to set up the photo shoot than it was for the actual quiet time, it's probably time to pump the brakes. I, I got a new book coming right. I, I, I have a buddy, uh, Jeff Foxworthy. We know we've all heard of him. You know, you might be if you've ever been forced to climb a water tower to defend your sister's honor, you might be a redneck. Okay, here's one. If you've ever had a quiet time with your phone to be seen by others, you might be a Christian. Yeah, if you've ever picked a filter. Like, if you've ever edited a photo of the Bible to let people know you read the Bible, then it's probably, I mean, like, that's the whole, like, Jesus is, I mean, they even say in the Bible, don't put, you know, don't make it obvious you did this elaborate prayer. Like, you know, like, make it private. And we're like, I think you mean build my platform, so I'm going to do the reverse. Like, if you hashtag your quiet time, it's no longer just a personal quiet time. If you've ever had a photo taken of you with your hands in the prayer position, you might be a Christian, or at least a cheesy one at that. that is, uh, all right, well, we're, we're, we're not here to have an insider's club. Believe it or not, the Aggressive Life is actually not a, a faith podcast. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not wearing our faith on our sleeve. I, I am a Christian. I'm a, I'm a pastor by day. A lot of people are questioning that these days, given the, uh, given the sex podcast I, I, I just recently released. But, you know, we're, 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 we're not kind of wearing faith on our sleeve, but our faith is propelling many of us who are people of faith. And, and you're one of these folks who is just going forward. You're pushing on some things. And, and I really, just, just the title of your book and what the, what the premise of it is I love, you know, soundtracks, the idea that's in your mind? What is the thing that's going over your mind and not overthinking? Just riff on us for a little bit of what the point is of soundtrack. Yeah, so the point is how to change overthinking from a super problem into a superpower. Most books about overthinking go, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. My point is, why would I turn off this amazing machine? What if I just fed it with the kind of thoughts that push me forward versus pull me back? And so I think that's the whole part. And what's interesting is there's a lot of listeners of this podcast that are amazing, type A, they get stuff done, they lay out their clothes the the night before so they'll go to the gym. But very few people we found in the research actually picked their thoughts before something. So they didn't go, I got a huge meeting I need to crush on Thursday. Here are the three soundtracks I'm going to make sure are playing in the background of that entire meeting for me. Here's the three soundtracks I need to accomplish this big goal. Most people think thoughts are something they have, not something they hone. They let them show up accidentally versus going, I'm going to take every thought captive. I'm going to choose the one. I'm the DJ. Like, I'm not going to be a victim of my thoughts. I'm the DJ. Here's the ones that are helpful. Here's the slingshot thoughts that are going to send me out into this goal, this world, this mission. And so that was really interesting. A lot of us are accidental in our thinking. And then we're surprised that we don't get the actions we want. And then we're even surprised we don't get the results we want. So we backed it up and said, what if you started with the right thought? which led to the right action, which led to the right result. What if you could do that? And here, spoiler alert, you can. There's actually some steps you can take. So that's what the book's about is, okay, let's talk about how we think because most people don't think about how they think. They just assume thoughts are something that shows up on their own accord. And my, my belief and what I've seen in the research is, no, you get to choose that. And when you do, something amazing happens. I think that really sets it apart from what I don't like at all. It's just philosophical thinking. Even our word philosophy, John, is just, we, we've lost it. Philosophy 
initially was finding something that could dictate your life, Some, finding something that would propel your life forward. Um, today, we think of philosophy as like, well, no, it's just this interesting idea that is kind of cool to think about. You're you're talking about the old school philosophy, like uh, one of the one of the old schools that I've I've really. I haven't done, wouldn't say I've done a lot of study on, but it's been fascinating. Is stoicism? Have you done much study or? Oh yeah, like a friend of mine, Ryan Holiday, has done a ton of work in that, um, and so it's pretty. Yeah, it's fa- it's fascinating how many football teams, for instance, love the approach of stoicism. Whether it's his obstacle is the way, um, yeah. you know, the ego is the enemy. Yeah, I think there's a there's a, a lot of interesting overlap there. Yeah, I thought that I thought that the philosophy of stoicism was just about okay, I have an interesting thought that I shouldn't be emotional. No, no, it's it's not that at all. It's trying to give you a framework to build your life on, and and it's not necessarily in, all of it in an alignment with my faith necessarily. But I'm just saying it's an example of philosophy should be something that's that's pushing us that we're structuring our life around. So for you, soundtracks isn't just interesting thoughts I'm having. This is the this is the stuff that's in your mental feed, the stuff that's driving your action. Like when I work out. My favorite, one of my favorite songs when I work out is The Who, Who Are You? It's, it's, it's just a great soundtrack. Who are you? Who, who? I, I, oh, yeah, I, it's classic. So this is, this is, these are thoughts that are in the background that are propelling you. So what are some of yours, John? Well, I mean, it, it depends on the situation. So for me, um, like one that I, and I've got some hung on my wall right here in front of me that I use. So like one is ask for more. So as an entrepreneur, ask for more. Like it's easy when you have a talent to think, well, I shouldn't charge a certain amount or I shouldn't like a lot of entrepreneurs face people, friends asking them to do work for free or say, hey, it'll, you know, it'll just take you a second. So one of mine is ask for more. When I'm in a business situation, ask for more. And it's a simple negotiation soundtrack. Another mine would be specific is sexy. As a writer, the more specific details I add to the writing, the sexier, the better it gets. So I know if I'll do the work and go, instead of saying, yeah, I heard this thing one time from this guy. If I instead say, Brian and I were talking in Palm Beach and it was in August and the weather was hot and we both were trying to think through this really big challenge. The more specific I am, the better the writing comes out. So throughout my day, throughout my life, I'm giving myself little reminders of, okay, this helps you be better at what you do. And my thing is, I'm hyper practical. I like to go, okay, well, how do we, how do we actually do something with that? It's not helpful if I just get you really, really inspired, but there's no next step. There's nothing you can do with it. So for me, like my last book was called Finish, about finishing goals. I know it's helpful because I have a stack of books people wrote after they read my book. People that said for years, I'm going to write a book someday. Like, dude, right now, 81% of Americans, according to New York Times, want to write a book. You know how many do every year? 1%. 81% say they want to, 1%. Too. That's a terrible gap between there. So many people say they want to write a book and they don't actually do it. So for me, if I can teach you practical things, soundtracks that help you change the way you think in a positive way and give you tactical things you can do. Awesome. I don't like, you know, people say, be kind, be kind. I like tactical kindness. So if I'm going to figure out something, I'm going to go, okay, how's it tactical? How do I actually live this out? Where's their principle? Where am I measuring it? So yeah, for me, that's where it gets really fun. Cause there's a million books about thinking, but I 
wanted to say, here's steps. And so we tested it with thousands of people. So the book wasn't written because I had an idea in this office. The book was written because I had some ideas. I commissioned a research study with a PhD named Mike Peasley. We tested it with thousands of people. The ideas that helped the most, we put into a book. That's how, that's how for me, my writing process has evolved, where now I go, I need to be able to show 35 different people with different life stories that use these ideas and benefited from them so that other people can see themselves in the book, not just see me. Yeah, you conducted a study with 10,000 participants. Yep. Really? And 99.5. Really? No, come on, come on. Now, John, it's just, it's just between us girls. Really? 10,000 people filled out your questionnaire. Or whatever yeah. it was. Well, see, the, the thing that for me, the benefit, it's not that I have some amazing research process because I'm lucky. I have a big social media platform. Yeah. So because I've spent the last 12 years serving a community, when I ask for help, people are kind and generous. So like it, it would be a lie if I said, yo, Brian, one day I just decided I'm going to have a do big research process and I have this massive team. I don't. Like I really don't. The process, though, involves me going – hey, I've, I've poured into a community for the last 12 years and I've created millions and millions and millions of free ideas. And so now the community is really kind and goes, yeah, we'll, we'll work on that survey. Yeah, we'll spend a month in a Facebook group answering questions about what's working, about what's not working. Wow. We'll tell you which parts of this don't work for us so that you can respond to them. Wow. So yeah, that's been a benefit. But it's kind of, it reminds me like, we want instant success. So like one time we raised $30,000 on my blog to build a kindergarten in Vietnam and it took us 18 hours. And people were like, well, how did you do it in 18 hours? And I said, you write for 18 months first. Like the 18 hours was the culmination. It wasn't that I figured out the right keywords or SEO. It was that I'd been pouring into an audience. And that's the part that people don't like to hear sometimes, but that's the reality. So the, the you know, sometimes we only see the shiny conclusion on Instagram, but the reality is somebody's been grinding for 18 months. What did you learn from those 10,000 folks that surprised you? Um, I think the first thing I learned was how many people identify with overthinking. Um, 99.5% of people say they struggle with it. There's not a lot of fears because I think overthinking is the sneakiest, greediest form of fear. Um, it's not a personality trait. There's not a lot of fears that if you ask a 10,000 person audience, do you identify this with this? They'll raise their hand. Like a lot, like we don't like to admit our fears. So I was really surprised, number one, how many people admitted it. I was really surprised how many um, industries, personalities, lives that went across. So it wasn't like I could say, oh, stay-at-home moms really overthink because they've got these 42 challenges or executives of Fortune 500 companies really overthink because they have these challenges. It was universal. So me, like I look for three things when I write a book and three, like if you are listening to this podcast and you're like, I want to launch a podcast, I want to start a business, these are the three keys. Number one, personal connection. Am I personally connected to it? Number two, is there real need? Do people really need it? Number three, is there a hole in the marketplace? If you can find those three things, you have an idea that you'll actually lean into and actually serve people. So one, 99.5% of people said they struggle with overthinking. Okay. Two, I'm personally connected to it because I'm an overthinker. Three, I looked in the market and realized there's actually a space. And if you don't have those three things, the idea doesn't have much shot at being successful. Like if you have, you, you know, say you have a passion, you love like albino ferret ownership, you own some special kind of albino ferret and you go and you, you see, you know, to the market, nobody's written about that yet, but then nobody needs that. That's a hobby. That's just a hobby. It's not going to be a best-selling idea. And so you have to have all three of those things. Say you have, you recognize a tremendous need and a tremendous hole in the market, but you're not personally connected to it. You just got a day job. 
you might push on it a little, it might make some money, but like your heart's not in it. It's just going to be a day job at the end of the day and you're going to give up on it. So for me, when I find those three things, that's when I, as an author, as a leader, as a communicator go, I'm willing to give years of my life to jump into this because I think it'll really help people. So you might be a redneck if, you might be a Christian if, you might be an overthinker if. What 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 separates an overthinker from a planner or an overthinker from sure. a strategizer? It's a great question. Um, planning and strategy always lead to action. Overthinking leads to more overthinking. So if you can show me, okay, here's the things we planned and we actually did them. We launched them, we created them, we released them, they're on shelves, the business opened the doors. Awesome, you're prepared, you're great at strategy. If you just show me, okay, we're real close, like we're real close. I can't tell you the number of people I meet who go, I've been working on a book for seven years. That's a long time to work on a book. Or I've always wanted to. If you say the sentence I've always wanted to again and again and again and you never have, like then you're an overthinker. Like the rea- I mean, here's the reality. We know how to go to the gym. They want you to come there. You know how to physically drive there. You know how to do a lot of the things there. The machines have pictures. We know that it's not our actions that get in the way, it's our thoughts. So if you can figure out that thought part and turn it into action, then you're not an overthinker. Like overthinking, that's the lie. Overthinking in the same way, like perfectionism pretends to be a vitamin when it's actually a poison. Oh, I'm just helping you get really, really good. It's not, it's ruining what you're doing. Overthinking goes, no, 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 I'm just, I'm, we want to be prepared. We want to cover every detail. We want to be in control. And if it never turns to action and there's never a result, it's overthinking. I remember hearing Colin Powell speak years ago, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And he said that what separates a good soldier from a great soldier is action taken. And he said that the thing is, because you're sending people into battle, you don't want to needlessly take lives. So you're constantly wanting more information. You want more data. You want more data, understandably. But he said, if you haven't made the decision by the time you have 70% of the data, it's too late. You're already too late. You, you've already lost. That was ominous to me. Like a guy is going gonna, is gonna to send somebody to battle with only 70% of the information, knowing people are going to die, but also inversely knowing it's going to be too late. Otherwise, I might be a little too conservative on how much due diligence I need. Yeah, I mean, I think I the the my version of that, and I've never obviously been faced with that decision, is I try to get enough data, not all the data. All the data is a lie. It's 100% a lie. Like, we in the year 2021, like— Is there anyone who still thinks they control everything? Like you don't. Like a year ago, you know, makeup sales are down. Lipstick's down 15%. Eye makeup's up 200% because people are wearing masks. Nobody can see your mouth. Everybody can see your eye. There's not a single person at Revlon a year ago that was like, I think our mouth division is going to have a tough year, like tough 2020, (laughs) but eyeballs through the roof. We're not in control of everything. There's things we control, definitely. Um, But so, yeah, for me, it's do I have enough data to make a decision, not all the data, because all the data is a myth and you'll never actually act. Well, one of the revolutionary ideas you have in your book is that you, you, you don't just tell people, stop overthinking, which is kind of what I would do. Instead, you tell us we should do it the quote unquote right way. What, what do you mean by that? So there's really the core of the book is, is three simple principles. One, retire the broken soundtracks. So identify, okay, you know what? 
every time I go to do this goal, I hear these three soundtracks. I always feel like you're not the right person to write a book. You know, who are you to be a leader? Whatever. Identify and retire the broken soundtracks. Number two, replace them with new soundtracks. You have the permission and the power to write new soundtracks. And number three, repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones. The reason it's easy for you to believe a broken soundtrack is you've listened to it a thousand times. So it'd be crazy for you to think, I got a new soundtrack, I listened to it four times, it's just not sticking. Of course it's not. You gave the other one, the broken one, the old one, a thousand repetitions. So let's start repeating those. So it's, you know, for me, I try to take complicated subjects, I try to boil them down to their simplest form, and then give you actions you can do. So anybody can say, okay, I can retire broken soundtracks, I can be deliberate about that, I can replace them with new ones that I create, and I can repeat them so often that they become as automatic as the old ones. Like, that's what the book's about. Yeah, that's great. One of my go-to soundtracks, the Bible verse, as a man thinketh, so is he. If we're playing the soundtrack that we think that we're not going to do it, guess what? We're not going to do it. We're playing a soundtrack that says, well, I'm laying out my clothes to go working out, but I'm not going to work out. Guess what? We're not going to do it. We, but we've yep. got, we have to take control and put the right thoughts in our mind. That's what you're saying with the retire. Exactly. And it's, you know, biblical, from a biblical perspective, there's so many verses about that, about taking your thoughts captive, about focusing on what's true and noble and beautiful. So yeah, the, there's so many sections um, of the Bible that speak to the power and importance um, of, of your thought life. All right. So soundtracks are the things, they're the, the, the thoughts, there's the, they're the sayings that we're choosing to have in the back of our mind and to be thinking about and to be affecting our decisions. But you, you, you won't, don't just want to be a auditory thing. It's also a visual thing. You attach symbols to these as well. A hundred percent because I want it to work. Um, you know, you're, you're up against every distraction the world has. I mean, like imagine there are scores and scores of engineers in, in California that are creating apps to distract you. Like they're, and they're experts. They went to MIT, they're brilliant. And they're creating the most sticky, distractive, you know, apps to distract you from doing something and to get you to come back to the app and to reward you and to, you know, psychologically kind of entice you. So there's whole teams doing that. Why wouldn't we give ourselves the best shot at focusing on the things we want to focus on? Like, I just want to even the odds a little bit. So if you'll say, okay, again, I have a post a note um, on my wall that says light and easy. What does light and easy mean? It means when I wrote this book, I wanted the process to be light and easy. I was deliberate about that because I've written other books where I had this like tension. I was like, I got to do the book just right. And I was a jerk to be around. And my wife would said, you're a jerk for the two years when you write a book and you're a jerk for the two years when you sell it. This doesn't work. And so I said, okay, I'm going to be deliberate. I'm promised that the burden is light and easy. So I'm going to make that part of my soundtracks. I'm going to put it on a note. I'm going to do as many little things as I can to remind me of that because I want to stack the odds in our favor. It's not helpful if you go, I have a new thought. I hope it works well. Like it's much better to go. I've got it on a post-it note. I have a coin that reminds me of it. I carry in my pocket. I have a pair of shoes that I wear when I really want to kind of get into the zone. Like there's all these little things you can do to fortify the chance of the soundtrack actually working. How should somebody choose their own soundtrack or institutionalize their own soundtrack? So if, I want, if I'm coming out of this and I go, okay, I, I, I want to do that. What, what should they be? How do I know what my three should be? 
Well, so the big thing for me is I would start in the easiest way possible. Borrow somebody else's soundtrack. Find somebody who's got an amazing soundtrack and go, oh, I really like that. I'm going to try that one on for size. See, the problem is like we overinterpret books like Start With Why. Great book, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. But when people get kind of stuck, they go, I got to find the one perfect goal. I got to find the one perfect soundtrack. I got to find the three perfect things. And they just get stuck before they even start. So in the same way that if you said to me, John, I want to write a book, but I want to know exactly what the book is before I write it. I'd say that's not, that's not how books go. Like, like the best way to discover a book is to write a book. But when people say, I want to find my voice as a writer, well, unfortunately, the best way to do that is, is to write a lot. Like you have to sit down and you have to, and you have to write and you have to make it a habit. You have to be deliberate. Um, so for me, I think one of the easiest ways to do it is to pay attention. One, pay attention to your thoughts. Like just pay attention. Um, two, look at the people you live with, that you work with, that you know, and go, wow, that's really interesting the way they approach that. I wonder, I wonder if there's a soundtrack there. That's what was the, you asked me about the research. One of the most surprising things is how many successful people I talked to that had soundtracks that they didn't talk about. They'd go, well, I got this little pep talk I give. Like, well, like Seth Godin, one of my heroes, he talked about how Zig Ziglar's motivational tapes helped him completely rewire his thinking. Like Zig Ziglar's motivational. And so like you could easily go, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a piece of what Zig did or, oh, I'm going to take a piece of what Patsy Claremont did or I'm going to take a piece of what Brian does. So like you start to collect them. You don't sit down with a blank piece of paper and go, now I have to come up with three amazing new ways to think for that. Like that is such an unkind thing to do to yourself and you'll never actually do it. That's good. So the soundtrack, you're not talking just about three sentence sayings. Like one of mine would be certainly make aggressive mistakes. That's that's been yeah, that's my great. soundtrack for years and years and years and years and years. And that's why the aggressive life popped up. I've been living that soundtrack for a long, long time. But you're not talking then just about pithy statements. You're talking about no, more because like, what things? if you're not a writer? You're a communicator. So like for you, make aggressive mistakes, it, dude. That is brief and boiled down and sticky. Like that's awesome. But if you're not a writer, I don't want you to think, oh, okay, now I have to come up with something that's really short and pithy and smart. No, not at all. It might be that you write a paragraph and you say, you know what? Um, like okay, for instance. There's soundtracks for every person in your life. So there's like you, we all have people that the minute we get a text from them, we feel this sense of anger and we hear this soundtrack of, oh, I can't stand that guy. It's, it's helpful to you to explore that, to do what I call pull the thread. Okay, why do I always get frustrated when I just see his, before I've even read the text, I get frustrated. What's really going on there? What soundtrack am I hearing? So for me, there's been situations like that where I've had to remind myself when I have a difficult meeting, we want the same things. Like me and this person want the same exact things. We both want to win this project. They're not trying to make my life difficult. I'm adding broken soundtracks that really shouldn't be played in this meeting that aren't helpful. Okay, I'm going to spend five minutes thinking through that. So yeah, you kind of go through that process. But no, it doesn't have to be a perfectly short statement. It doesn't have to be something amazing. It can be a story. I'll give you one other example. Patsy Claremont, who I just mentioned, I'm sure that you've connected with her at some point. Amazing author, amazing speaker. Um, I talked to her back at lunch like two years ago when lunches weren't illegal. And I said, hey, um, <laughs> tell me about the first time you wrote a book. And she said, the first time I wrote a book, um, which she was in her 40s, she said, I got the edits and there was red ink all over the pages and it felt like I was bleeding. It felt like the book had been murdered. So I asked the editor, will you please change the color? 
uh, when you edit my books. And the editor said, sure thing. She started editing in green. And Patsy said, now when I, when I made mistakes or things got corrected, I felt like I was growing, not dying. And that changed the whole process for me. So dude, like that's the kind of thing that I didn't sit down at lunch with Patsy Claremont and go, she's going to give me some amazing soundtrack. But she did. And so I'll take that one and go, edits mean I'm growing, not that I'm dying. Like that's how you get stronger. And so that's a soundtrack for me. So that's what I mean by borrow them from people. Like it's good to borrow them and go, okay, I'm growing, I'm learning versus I never want to send somebody to the blank piece of paper. I don't, I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in idea bankruptcy. I believe that we don't share enough and collect enough ideas. And then we try to do something really difficult, like write or come up with a new soundtrack. And it's really challenging. So, so my thing at the very first, if you were going to say, hey, I want some new soundtracks in my life, I would say, listen to Brian's podcast, like make aggressive mistakes, talk to your version of Patsy Claremont, read my book. There's a bunch of soundtracks in there. Go out and be a, be an investigator of these things. No, be a collector, sound, be a curator. I know I sound awful and uninformed, but who is Patsy Claremont? Patsy Claremont, she was with Women of Faith. She's written probably 40 or 50 books. Um, she's a huge, uh, I'm trying to think what, t- like how you describe her. Uh, I guess she would, her background would be Bible teaching. She's like, she's, I would say she's like uh, a peer of like Beth Moore and kind of that circle. Okay. All right, good. So well, speaking of Beth Moore, Patsy Claremont, that circle, Dolly Parton. Yeah, Dolly yeah. Parton. You actually opened for Dolly Parton. How, how did you land that gig? What was that like? And did you slobber all over yourself when you saw her? Yeah, I landed that gig like uh, like every other person in Nashville through my dentist. Like <laughs> like my dentist is de- Dolly Parton's dentist. And I've done a bunch of events with him, dental events, because I speak for a living. Oh, a dental um, event. What is a dental event? Dude, You've done it's a fascinating bunch of different because- events with your dentist. A hundred percent. Here's the thing. Like, so I'm a corporate speaker. I speak at 50. I get the best part of my job is I get to go to 50 amazing classrooms a year in the sense of I get to go to FedEx corporate headquarters and see how they're doing logistics. I get, you know, the NFL teaches one of my books. I go get to interact with the NFL. So the thing that it takes to be a successful dentist right now, there's three things, social media, email marketing, and running a business. Do you know what three things they don't teach at dental school? Yeah. Social media, email marketing, running a business. So dentists, the smart ones, have huge events where they get together and figure out how do we run amazing businesses? How do we scale amazing businesses? So I go speak at those events. So I'd done that a couple of times and my dentist said, hey, do you want to come? We got this event at the Ryman, which is a top 10 venue in the in the US. Um, and he's like, do you want to come open up for Dolly Parton? And I, yeah, lost my mind, of course. Like it's, she's, I mean, she's one word. There's only like five one word people in the world. Like Dolly's one of them. It's like Madonna, like Beyonce, um, maybe Bono. Like, and so I was like, of course. And so it was amazing. And I had to do two 10 minute comedy bits. I use humor to communicate when I go speak to a corporate audience, but this was like pure comedy. Um, and so, and they don't give a green room to the comedian. So I just paced backstage for like five hours, like a jungle cat, just terrified, <laughs> dude, terrified. Um, but it was super fun. And I wrote a bunch of good Dolly Parton jokes that I thought went well. So like, yeah, it was a, it was a fun moment. But the, the thing that I put in the book, somebody asked me after, they're like, did you ever think you'd be doing that? And the truth is I did. Like, I, I know that sounds weird, but I didn't think Dolly specifically, but, 
you know, in 2008, when somebody said, hey, do you want to come speak at our event? All I had was the thought. I had no proof that it would work. I had to lean on the thought to go, I think I can do this. I think I can be a speaker. I think I can be an author. I think I can do this. And then over the next 13 years, I put in the actions and I put in the work to make that true. But it started by thinking, like choosing that soundtrack. And again, there's a lot of your listeners that are like, I think I can be a leader. Like, I don't know how yet. I don't know what I'm going to lead. Um, I think I can start a business. I don't know how yet. I don't know what I'm going to start, but I think I can. And then you just build on that thought, on that soundtrack with all these actions. And then it's really fun to see where it can go. Well, and just to use the new nomenclature that's already sinking into me that I'm thankful for, the soundtrack idea is anything anybody knows about Dolly Parton's history is she has a very definitive soundtrack. I'm not talking about the notes she puts on paper. I'm talking about her interaction with poverty. I'm talking about how how her understanding of God affects her future. I mean, when she starts talking about that, it is it is utterly powerful and profound. And look where she is now. Yeah, she's amazing. She did a 75-minute set. Like, like in situations like that, the way Nashville works, like with the songwriter night where they bring a bunch of different musicians, it's really common for the star to come and do one, two songs and bounce. She did a 75 minute set, like all the, like she killed it. You would have thought she was 18 and this was her one shot at the Ryman. Not that this was probably her millionth time at the Ryman. Yeah. So like, that's another where I'll take that soundtrack. Like, look how faithful she's been to the process and the work and like has still maintained like this hope. So like, that's the kind of thing that I love to be around people that are performing at that level. John, if you ready for the lightning round, this is where I give you a topic yeah. and you've got a chop, chop, get it done. And one to two, two sentences. Are you up for the challenge? Let's do it. All right, here we go. The power of community toward achieving your goals. Um, you're not meant to do any meaningful goal alone. How to punch fear in the face. You don't get to learn about yourself unless you deal with your fears. A, f a fear is the fastest path to self-awareness. The most common thing that keeps people from starting on their goals. Perfectionism. Thinking that there's a perfect plan that will prevent any type of pain. So many P words in there. That was a pastor alliteration <laughs> yeah, that for was. The things yeah. Christians like. Alliterations, things that start with P. I like that. Oh, yeah, Totally. The most common thing that keeps people stuck once they start? Believing the results will come faster than they ever do. The secret to reaching the finish line? Falling in love with the process, not the results. When do I know it's time to quit my day job for my dream job? When... The opportunity for the, the, the dream job is so big, it's hard to do the day job. Where it gets so big, where you have a chance, um, where it pulls you towards it versus you jumping towards it impulsively. Which one is more important? Tell us which and why. Hustling or networking? Oh, hustling. You can, get, you can be amazing at networking, but if you never get it done, it doesn't matter. Like you, you, you could go oh, to yeah, a million. That's the right life. Uh, oh yeah, it's the right answer. It's just called the aggressive yeah. life, not the interact yeah. with people life. No, you can go to a million networking events and then not do anything when you get home, except have a bunch of business cards. I don't like my current role or job. Advice? 
Um, take notes. Surround yourself with wise people. Um, answer their dare. Every bad boss is saying the same thing. I dare you to find a better job. John, you've got you're you're a deep well. This is good. Uh, I've thrown a lot of stuff at you. What do you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about? Is there anything that you're going? Oh man, Brian needs to be saying this or acting this. So just just take us home. What do you want to talk about in our final moments together? No, I mean I think we I think we covered it all. I'm just excited for people to learn some practical tactical things about how changing their thoughts can change their lives. Um, And I think the thing I'd say is the book's really funny. We talked about the Dolly Parton story. Um, There's just a lot of humor in it. I love to use humor to communicate, and so my hope is that people find it practical, actionable, but also really fun. So Soundtracks is the book. Where can people get one? They can get it everywhere books are sold. Um, Soundtracksbook.com. You can go read the first chapter. People often tell me, why should I buy your book? And I often say, maybe you shouldn't. Go read the first chapter. Like, I, you know, like, see if it's something that you engage with. So Soundtracksbook.com would be the best way to go check out a free chapter. See if there's, you know, something that you're interested in. You can watch the trailer, too. Trailer's really nice. Drones, it's very nice. <laughs> uh, John, it's been great to get to know you and to laugh with you and uh, just see the the really, really rich stuff that's happening through your life. Well done, brother. Well, well, well done. Love to have you back. Thanks for having me, Brian. Man, my pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. That's it, boys and girls. There you have it, man. They come in all sizes, all stripes, all genders, all mindsets. People who are aggressive are all over the map. And we just met one here today who just gave us some really, really valuable stuff. Soundtracks, the book. John Acuff is his name. Things I like. John Acuff. Welcome. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. That's good, man. Really, really that solid. That was easy, dude. Really solid. Uh, yeah. That I, was, could have, I could have camped yeah. out on stuff Christians like forever, but I knew that's not where you're going. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I did. I mean, I wrote the blog for like eight years, so there's a ton of content there. Oh, that there, was, came I out still, of the blog. All right. Yeah, I still, I still think there's, there's ideas that I look at and go, that is hilarious that that's the way we're doing. Th- I mean, like I could write post on post of like, why does every Hillsong song have to be 11 minutes long? Like, I, I think, <laughs> I think the march around Jericho is shorter. Like, I just feel like it had less verses and they took down a whole city. Like, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. God doesn't show up quickly. Apparently. Well, I had this dream today. Talk about Hillsong and contemporary music. I just I had this dream today. It was literally this morning where I thought, man, someone needs to come out with a band called the 40s or called the 50s. And I want only 40-something-year-olds and only 50-something-year-olds who are writing songs and in the band. I want only people who have dealt with actual pain in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so popular right now is, uh, I searched the world and it couldn't fill me. I'm like, dude, you go to Ele- Elevation Church, you're 26. You haven't freaking yeah. searched the world. You haven't searched outside <laughs> yeah. of North Carolina. Yeah. You haven't searched. You're still on your parents' health care. <laughs> right. Like, you're still on right. your parents' health care. Yeah. It hasn't. You've, you've yeah. not seen any of the seven wonders. You've not seen any other continents. You've never had any disease. You've you never had anything. I'm, I'm longing for people who are leading yeah. worship that are like, Deep wells, you know what I'm saying? Ah, uh, dude, like you don't want the 24 year old writing the parenting book? Is that what you're saying? You're good. <laughs> well, you're good. No, I'm no, I'm okay with 24 year olds writing parenting books. I'm an, I'm really good with young I, idealistic worship singers doing their. Th- I, I like. I'm just going. It seems like 
people who are in their 40s and 50s lose their musical voice. I want to hear your well, songs. Here's, here's my version of that. I did a joke when I was talking. I did something, a tour with the Orange Leaders. And the joke I would do was about like marketing, but it was, why does every worship leader assume I've had the worst week? Because every worship leader monologue is like, we don't know what you're carrying in here. We know you suck. We know you're terrible. I'm like, no, maybe I killed it this week. Like, why can't I have had a good week? Like, I think we as the church love to roll around in that. And it's not, it's not, to me, it's like, that's where men go. The, the fear of success, the shame of success, like if you would solve that for Christian men, I would be so grateful. I would love, like that, there's two things I'd love you to solve. That, so like Christian men can live fully successful lives that they're not ashamed of, that they crush things and that they don't have to be secretive about it. And two, how successful Christian leaders don't blow up their entire lives. Like if you could figure out those two things, like those are things I'm passionate well, about. Well, I figured out the second thing. I'm working on the first thing. What's the thing. second thing? The second thing I've done a, I've actually done a study of this. <clears throat> the study is not 10,000 people, but it's everybody who I've known who's tanked their life. And, and I, I'm 55 now. I've got a good number of them. And I kind of move now in the circles of the who's who's who get headlines about them. And there's mm-hmm. two things that every person who's tanked their life and blown it up are missing. Can I guess one of them? Yeah, please. No community. They were isolated. Exactly, exactly. And by community, it's not people I have staff meetings. I mean people who are in my life, they're in my business, they're in my church, they're in my marriage. I laugh with them. We go do beers together if we drink. We vacation together. They know my stuff. Yeah, the whole, whole thing. Second one. So you did good in this one. Guess the second one. It's, it, it has nothing to do with the Bible verse. So see how you do um, in this one. I mean, I, no, I mean, the second one, I would just go, they, they think their success is their identity. I, I don't know. What's the second one? Second one, I think you're probably right. That's probably, that's probably number three. But number two is they have no life-giving hobbies. Uh, yeah. No life-giving yeah, hobbies. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm going on an elk hunt in two days. I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm thinking about it. Guess what? When I'm planning and thinking about that, I don't have time to plan and think about porn. I, when, yeah. when, I, when I'm excited about that, I'm not, I'm yeah. not fantasizing about some other secret, secret sin again and again and again and again and again. Uh, well, I didn't, I, I, I just would drink gin. I would go to sleep. I would drink myself to sleep every night. I had nothing better to do. I would, you know, this, it, it, it's, it's regular. Those, oh, those two things are Life-giving hobbies. That's good, dude. That's good. I like that a lot. Well, your, your, your first one is a good one that's for me. It's a good reminder. You know, the, oh, we should, we should feel bad, shouldn't we? We should feel like it's hard. No, you're right. It, that, no, sometimes life is great. But you are right. In Christian circles, there is this apologetic that if you're doing really well, you must have compromised someplace. If oh, yeah. Yeah, if really, Jesus isn't happy about it. Right. Like, no, in, Nash, in Nashville, a musician told me, if I buy a $75,000 Suburban, people say, good for you, it's a family car. If I buy a $75,000 BMW, they say, for shame, Jesus rode, a, Jesus rode a donkey. And so there's all these little, so that's like that stuff's fascinating to me. Like, I, But I just think the enemy wins when we don't live fully out of our gifts. Like, Jesus didn't shame the guy who turned 10 talents into 10 other talents. He wasn't like, you should have, I mean, you could have done so many things with those instead of 
hustling on what you did. So like, that's a real, I'm always curious about that. So I think there's a ton of overlap in what we do. I love your, I love your out there encouraging dudes. Um, I think it's awesome. So um, if I'm ever in Cincinnati, I'll, I'll certainly swing by. I'd love to, hopefully we can get to do this live at some point. All right, John. Thank you, brother. Awesome. See you, buddy. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. The aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.